Welcome everyone to episode 18 of Healthy Mind Fit Body Podcast. This is Wes and I have Kevin on the other line. Hey Kevin. How's it going guys? Good and we have a special guest on today. We've mentioned a couple times the last two shows about Tom Naughton who created the film Fathead. And just a little history of Tom. After a couple years of pre-med in college, Tom switched gears to become a writer and editor of humor essays, No Organic Chemistry in Sight and then chose acting in L.A. and stand-up comedy in the comedy club circuit, appearing in major clubs such as Zany's, The Ice House, and Yuck Yucks, as well as in a lot of bars and bowling alleys he'd rather not talk about. You can still check out his appearances in clubs and on cruise ships, where he's known for a clean, cerebral style. Speaking of cerebral, Tom, by trade, is a software engineer. Most recently, which is the main reason for this interview, he's the writer-director of the comedy documentary Fathead, You've been fed a load of baloney. The film site is fathead-movie.com, and his personal blog is tomnaughton.com. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Good morning. You know, you, you put it that way, I realize I sound kind of like a guy who can't hold down a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done a fine job with this movie. Thank you. Kevin and I watched it last week, and we were really impressed. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. And in fact, I actually backed that up. The next night, I watched uh, the movie Food, Inc., which mm-hmm. is... Another movie about food, but a really different conclusion on what should be done or what shouldn't be done. But yeah, I definitely preferred your film to the more, I guess, uh, publicized Food, Inc., which I keep hearing about. And definitely preferred it over the Super Size Me movie, which was kind of the inspiration for your film, right? That's right. When did you get this itch to create a film that would challenge the so-called Spurlockian baloney? Well, it actually didn't start out as a desire to challenge Supersize Me. Um, I had been putting together some ideas for shooting a pilot for a show I wanted to produce, kind of a comedian slash man on the street slash intelligent guy looks at issues of the day Mm -hmm. uh, and presents them in some sort of amusing fashion. That was the idea. And I settled on the idea of uh, I wanted to do a show about what I think is the ridiculous way that we treat fat people in our society. It's one of the few groups that it's still okay to hate. And or make fun of publicly. So I actually was doing research on that, uh, kicking around some ideas. I hadn't seen Super Size Me because I had heard enough about it to know I would probably just be annoyed. But then given the topics that I was exploring, I thought, okay, I I should actually rent this movie and finally see what all the hubbub is about. And I rented it and I not only was annoyed, I started to realize there was just a lot of baloney in there. His math didn't add up for one thing. I am a computer programmer. You don't want to throw bad math at me and expect me to swallow it. And by the time I was done watching it, uh, I just, I decided to change focus. I thought, you know, I really want to respond to this movie. So I kind of uh, started looking into making more of a documentary and less of just a pilot. And I went from there. Yeah, nice. So after making the movie, do you think that uh, at this point, do you think there is such a thing as healthy fast food? or at least healthier? Well, I don't know if I'd call it healthy fast food. You know, we also have to keep in mind most of what people buy at the grocery store would not qualify as healthy food. So I don't think it's a, you know, a a big slap on fast food to say no, not a lot of it is healthy. The point is there are degrees of healthy just as there are degrees of unhealthy. And yeah, some fast food is certainly very bad for you. Anything with a lot of sugar in it is very bad for you. But my beef with Spurlock was, number one, he intentionally way over-consumed calories. He way over-consumed what even his own rules would have allowed him to consume. 
So in other words, he was intentionally trying to get fat and sick so he could point the finger at McDonald's. And I decided in my approach, you know, I'm not calling fast food health food, and I make that very clear in the film, as you guys know since you saw it, but there are better choices that you can make. So that's what I did. I actually lost weight. Um, you've seen the movie. You saw the look of shock on my doctor's eyes when he was giving me the post-diet checkup. So, you know, if you're going to eat fast food, the point is there are smarter ways to do it. Yeah, that's the one thing I took away from after watching uh, Spurlock's movie was the the sugar. I mean, they did mention it in the movie, but it wasn't really emphasized that he was drinking those huge Cokes with uh, sugar, not even Diet Coke most of the time. And it's just tons of calories and it's just wreaking havoc on your system. And they kind of brushed over it like, yeah, that's just, that's just more calories. But that, I mean, if you took away just that, his diet would have been so much healthier in that movie. Exactly. And that's another thing that annoyed me about it was there was a lot of emphasis in his film on, oh my God, look at all the fat in this food. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't the fat that caused all the damage. It just kind of goes by briefly at the end. Oh, by the way, on this diet, I consumed 30 pounds of sugar. 30 <laughs> pounds <laughs> of sugar? That's a pound a day. That would do it to anybody. Yeah, and Paleolithic man and woman could never get that much sugar in their diet. I don't think a Paleolithic man or woman could get 30 pounds a year. <laughs> exactly, because it's all bound up in this fibrous foods, and we covered in a previous podcast talking about chimpanzees, and they do eat a lot of like fruit stuff, but it's real bitter fruit, and it takes them you know quite a bit of energy to eat those things. It's not like all the the stuff that we have in the uh, produce section today, right, not to mention all the junk food that we have in the center aisles of the grocery stores. Exactly. And even the fruit today, now I'm not knocking fruit. I mean, you know, a little fruit here and there is good for you. But first off, a lot of the fruit we have today has been genetically engineered to have a higher sugar content. And second, let's think about our Paleolithic ancestors. Did they eat fruit every day? They couldn't. It was only available in season. They weren't having it shipped in from Brazil in the winter. And you get while well, yeah. the getting's good, basically. So you could see how the insulin factor plays in there, where it stores those precious sugars as fat till whenever you get it again, right? Yeah, and I don't think it's any accident. I happen to think nature is brilliant. I don't think it's any accident that the fruits and some of the other starchier foods that maybe Paleolithic people did eat, some of, I don't think it's any accident that those become available in the autumn, just in time to give you a little extra body fat for the winter. The problem is now, now we are fattening ourselves up for the winter 365 days a year. Yes, the yeah, junk exactly. food is ubiquitous. Right. So given that, in the movie, you interview people on the street and ask them, you know, how many calories or is this bad food for you? What do you think about this meal and so forth? And people have kind of a commonsensical notion of what's good and bad for them. Right. But it's kind of like washed away by the influence of this bad nutritional propaganda that everybody gets. So where do you think the common sense ends and the, and the bad propaganda has its ill effects on people? Very good question, because we do have to draw a line somewhere. Now, obviously, you've seen the movie. I'm a big believer in personal responsibility. When people are sucking down French fries and large Coca-Colas, nobody is looking at that and thinking, this is good for me. And 99% of them are looking at that and saying, it's bad for me. I know it. I don't care. I want it anyway. Now, where I draw the line to say, okay, we do have to excuse people a little bit, is when we get into the whole fat is bad for you category. Because most people believe that's true. It simply isn't true. And so people have been fooled into making what they think are good decisions 
which are actually bad decisions. The primary one being, oh, I'm going to cut a lot of fat out of my diet. Well, what are they going to put in there? Exactly. Almost always, they're going to substitute carbohydrates. And we've been told, oh, you've got to get your whole grains and potatoes and things like that. And those are all good for you. That's the point where I, I cut people a break because I know I was one of those people. I ate like that. I thought I was doing the right thing and I was getting progressively fatter and sicker. So obviously at some point, we do have to put the blame on the bad information. But as far as when people go to McDonald's and they order a large order of fries and a Coke, they know what they're doing to themselves. They're just deciding to do it anyway. But damn, is it tasty, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Hence the uh, need for the CSPI guy, right? That's yeah. right. He's got to come in and protect us from ourselves. <laughs> yeah, so how much regulation do you think we need before we really get it? <laughs> do you think his job will be, the CSPI guy, his job will be done? Or uh, do we just <laughs> constantly well, need more and more regulation until we finally get knocked over the head and figure it out? Uh, his job will never be done. He'll never let it be done. I, he, you know, he's kind of like Al Sharpton. Do you think the day will ever come when Al Sharpton or go, okay, you know what? There's really not a big racial problem for me to deal with anymore. I hereby retire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't think so. The guy from CSBI, I mean, he's gone and we're talking about Michael Jacobson for people who don't know. What uh, does that stand for again? Center for... The Center for Science and the Public Interest. Oh, that's right. Very and the only problem with that is they don't deal with science, and what they do is not in the public interest. They are, <laughs> they are, a, they are a radical vegetarian group. That's not how they promote themselves to the media. Uh, you almost never hear that mentioned in the media. Now, I don't think people in the media are that stupid. I think they know what they're about. On the other hand, they are a source of reliable hyperbole which makes for good copy and makes for good uh, sound bites. So I think the media does not expose who they really are because they kind of like getting those juicy quotes from them. And for some reason, the mainstream media seem to adore the twin powers of taxation and regulation that the CSPI guy uses, right? Yes, they do. Um, I don't want to get into a whole dissertation about bias in the media, but I did go to journalism school. And I can tell you that You've heard that about 90% of the press leans left. Mm -hmm. That was exactly my experience in journalism school. So I was going to school 25 years ago with the future journalists of the world. And my impression at the time was most of these people, if there were no journalism major available, they would have been majoring in something like social work. Mm -hmm. So there is very much a do-gooder mentality that attracts people to journalism. Unfortunately... Most of them think doing good requires taxation and regulation. Yeah, kind of using yeah. coercion to get people to be more moral or do the right thing and to be virtuous. And yeah, that's a real common thing. Yes. They have good intentions, but it leads to basically more errors and people being less healthy, as we can see all around us. Um, so one of the main issues in the movie was dealing with the lipid hypothesis and trying to ferret out exactly how this got started and why it's a huge scam just perpetrated on people that don't really understand the nature of how this all got started. Like, why is fat and cholesterol the main issue? Mm -hmm. Well, the way it got started, at least in this country and the way it became popularized, and for those who don't know, the lipid hypothesis briefly says it's a two-part hypothesis. Number one, eating saturated fat raises your cholesterol. And number two, high cholesterol is what causes your arteries to get clogged up and, and leads to heart disease and other cardiovascular diseases. Now, the way that got popularized in the United States 
there was a scientist, and I'm going to have to use that word in quotes here because he didn't act like a scientist, named Ansel Keys, who proposed that eating fat raised your cholesterol and led to heart disease. And in order to give some credence to his theory, he presented his seven countries study in which he showed seven countries on a chart with their fat intake and their rate of heart disease. And wouldn't you know it, it created this nice, smooth line going from, you know, on a chart from your lower left to your upper right, in other words, indicating a really strong causality. And by gosh, the more fat, the more heart disease. Now, there are a lot of problems with his study. Number one, he actually had data available from 22 countries. He picked the seven specifically that allowed him to produce that nice clean chart. Uh, other people have gone back and selected seven different countries from the 22 countries for which he had data available, and they were able to make the line go exactly the opposite way. The more fat, the less heart disease. Interesting. Yeah, and he was so convinced that his theory was correct that he basically called everything else an anomaly and he put out his seven countries study and said, here it is. Now, the other problem with that is if you went back and you looked at his 22 countries and you were to track sugar intake versus heart disease, you don't have to cherry pick seven countries to get a smooth line. If you look at sugar intake, you actually see a true relationship. But he was convinced it was fat, so that was the theory he promoted. Now, originally, the scientific world poo-pooed him and said, no, nah, this isn't right. He cherry-picked his data. Confirmation bias to the max, right? Yeah. Right, right. There are other factors involved. So he really didn't get a lot of traction immediately. Unfortunately, he, number one, from what I've read, he was a very, very hard-driving, arrogant sort of person who you know, was not going to be denied. And the worst part of it was he ended up on the board of the American Heart Association. Uh-huh which had criticized his study some years before, but once he ended up on the board, suddenly they adopted it. And yeah. from there, it, it kind of snowballed. Yeah, despite uh, Robert Atkins' best attempts to talk some sense into the, uh, the Heart Association, it didn't really work, did it? No, no, unfortunately it didn't. And of course, eventually the whole theory got the stamp of approval by our own government, You know, which is, uh, there's two problems with that. One is that people think, well, the government wouldn't have an interest one way or another, so what they tell us must be true. Um, we should know better, but that's what a lot of people think. The other problem is research tends to go in the direction of the funding, and the government is the 900-pound gorilla of funding. Yes. Yep. So follow the money again, right? Yes. Follow the money. Right. Yeah. If it stops moving in the marketplace, you subsidize it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so, uh, Tom, why do you think that uh, we can't, as Americans, we can't shake out of this low-fat craze that started, what, 20-something years ago? I mean, I grew up with the whole low-fat thing, and I thought it was great. I thought, yeah, eat fat, get fat, so just cut out mm -hmm. as much fat as possible, and I'd be really healthy. But uh, now to find out that that's just couldn't be further from the truth. And that's what dietitians are saying, basically. All the ones that I went to for my type 1 diabetes, they would yeah. put me on the high-carb, low-fat diet. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing. Uh, as far as how we're going to get out of it, I don't remember who I'm quoting here, but there's a saying that scientific progress is often the result of funerals. Yeah. The old yeah. guard almost has to die out. And it's not just in this area. This has happened in science over and over. A 
theory gets established and then people's careers begin to depend on that theory, the funding goes in the direction of that theory, the peer-reviewed journals end up being controlled by people who accept that theory, and you know, when I was growing up, I thought science was this wide open objective process where everybody's out there doing experiments and the, the, you know, the best information rises to the top. Unfortunately, that's not true. There's a lot of control, as Gary Taubes pointed out in his fabulous book, Good Calories, Bad Calories. There are literally a handful of people who have controlled the conversation about nutrition for the past 20 or 30 years. Amazing. Uh, And I mean literally controlled. They control the purse strings for the funding. They control the peer-reviewed journals. They occupy some of the seats in government where these policies are established. There's a very incestuous relationship between the food industry and government and the pharmaceutical industry in this field. We're literally talking about a handful of people controlling the conversation. I'm afraid we probably won't truly get away from this until those people are gone. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's all for the common good, though, isn't it? I mean, the FDA and the USDA, all these sort of top-down organizations that are you know, regulating society and making sure that people are eating the right things, don't they, um, aren't they providing folks some good, positive benefits? I can't really say that with a straight face. <laughs> are we going by the mission statement or the reality? <laughs> yeah, it's two different things, isn't it? I mean, there's something to be said for good intentions, but... Like you say, when they are just isolated from objective analysis and they don't want to take into account all the evidence and they have their own agendas and their funding is gained through, rather than voluntary interaction in the marketplace, like people in the free market do, it's gained through taxation. Right. And it's obviously going to skew the way people are thinking and and the way they're funding things. Yeah, and there's another issue with that. Let's suppose um, we're looking at someone like Carol Tucker Foreman, who was an undersecretary at the USDA. Now, I don't think she was corrupt. I don't think she'd been bought off. But unfortunately, she was wrong. She believed in the low-fat diet theory, and she started putting it into the, you know, made sure that it got into the USDA's diet recommendations. Now, I believe she probably believed she was doing the right thing. But unfortunately, she was wrong. And given the high position that she occupied in government, again, she's one of those 900-pound gorillas. What she says is, I don't mean that as a knock against her physically, but, (laughs) but as far as her position of power, what she said is going to have a huge influence. So even if she was sincere, the mere fact that she was wrong and in a powerful position had a lot to do with this theory getting pushed out into the rest of the world. Yeah, and I think a big aspect of that, I'm sure she was probably overseeing, if not created, that food pyramid where the bottom is, you know, breads, grains, cereals, basically high-carb stuff. Right. And this gets foisted on all the kids in the public schools. Like 90% of the kids in the country are being fed this sort of way of eating with the way the foods are structured. It's based on the food pyramid, right, at the schools? Yeah, it is. And they have to, by law, they have to follow the food pyramid. And even, uh, for example, my daughter's in preschool, but for whatever reason, the preschools are accredited, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess to make sure they know how to color correctly before they move on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but when the accreditation people were coming in from the state, we actually got a letter from the school, sort of an apologetic letter that basically said, during the couple of days that the state officials are here, your child's lunch must include... And they gave us a list, and basically that list was to make sure that 
when they open up my daughter's lunch bag and saw what was in there that they would say, aha, she is following the food pyramid. She will grow up to be healthy. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know they were going that extreme. Yeah. Now, of course, we don't follow the food pyramid here. I mean, we basically flip it upside down. But, you know, for, <laughs> yeah. the, for the couple of days, we stuck the stuff in her lunch bag that we wouldn't normally feed her. Interesting. Yeah, I like Sears' rendition of it where the bottom part is water at the base. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yes. that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's any, uh, I mean, we get some protection out of these agencies like FDA and USDA, right? I mean, uh, what would life be like without them? Yeah, I've wondered that myself. Uh, obviously, the short answer is we don't know because they've been around so long. Uh, as far as some protection, I, I suppose we get a degree of protection as far as making sure our food's not contaminated. Although I'm not convinced that that wouldn't be handled anyway. Uh, even Eric Schlosser, the guy who wrote Fast Food Nation, has said that McDonald's meat inspection guidelines, for instance, are more stringent than the government's. And which would make sense. Imagine a deep pockets corporation like that ends up poisoning a dozen people, you know, fatally. Yeah. Hurts your bottom line. Yeah, you can imagine what the lawsuits would be. So they obviously have an interest in keeping their food safe. Now, maybe there are crooked people out there. Maybe there are people who just don't care. And maybe the USDA inspections, you know, help keep some of those people in line. I don't know. The thing is, if the USDA were gone, I don't think we would have nothing. I think we'd have maybe something akin to underwriters' laboratories, yeah. which checks the uh, safety of products, but they're not a government agency. They're funded by the insurance agency to make sure they're not paying a lot of, uh, a lot of claims. Yeah, where there's yeah. a demand in the marketplace, there will be someone you know, supplying to that demand. Yeah, I think so. And also, Thomas Sowell pointed out, and you know, all you got to do is read the newspaper to know this is true, these government agencies that are set up to regulate a particular industry typically end up being run by that industry, by members of that industry. Yeah. Indeed. And this is why we have, you know, the subsidies for corn and soybeans. Right. And then that trickles down into the influx of high fructose corn syrup and all the soy right. products. I mean, you can totally see the agendas going on there, right? Yeah. The so-called uh, nutrition, big agriculture, nanny state complex. And that's part of, I think, the reason the low-fat diet theory got accepted so quickly. And by the way, for your listeners who don't know, it was never more than a theory. It was a hypothesis, and it has never, ever been proved to be true. But in any case, I think the reason the theory got accepted in record time, shall we say, it happened to be a very convenient theory for the U.S. government, especially for the USDA, whose mission is not to make you or me healthy. Their mission is to sell grain. So when a theory comes along that says fats are bad for you and you should be getting more of your diet from complex carbohydrates, why wouldn't they love that theory? It just told them that their mission is not only good for the farmers, it's good for everyone's health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it creates a vicious cycle of basically keeping people locked in states of overweight you know, conditions and obesity thinking that they're doing the right thing and then really frustrated why they're not losing weight when they're exercising like crazy. And I went through that frustration. Um, you know, I spent a good deal of my adult life overweight. I thought I was doing the right things. I was practically torturing myself with these low-fat diets, which I never enjoyed, which tended to make me feel lethargic and depressed. I'd be going to the gym or I'd be running and then maybe lose a couple of pounds. And I believed what people typically believe now. Well, you have to lose weight, but it's hard. And how many times have you heard people say, 
gosh, why is it that everything that's good for you doesn't taste good? And how come everything that tastes good is bad for you? I believe that. So, you know, you think, well, I'm going to have to live this Spartan monk-like existence in order to lose weight. And uh, what a joy it was, especially as I started researching this film, to find out that's not true. It doesn't have to be that hard. It can be almost easy. And by the way, most of the flavors you enjoy are actually good for you. Yeah, we were actually along those lines. Wes and I were wondering, are you still eating the uh, tasty cheese fried in coconut oil? (laughs) I do once in a while. That was, of course, part of that experiment month where I, I wanted to sort of test part of the lipid hypothesis for myself. One of the doctors interviewed in that film, Dr. Michael Leeds, kind of challenged me on that. I I said, you know, it kind of makes sense. Uh, I've read the research. I believe you, but, and he basically said, you know, you can try this for yourself. Just cut out the sugar and starch, eat all the fat you want, as long as it's not, you know, uh, processed vegetable oils, which we're not supposed to be eating anyway, and just see what happens. And I did. And, you know, the cholesterol figures you saw improved pretty dramatically. So what a pleasure to find out, no, the cheese fried in coconut oil is not going to clog my arteries. And and by the way, it's actually good for you. Indeed it is. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the last podcast we covered, we took issue with, I don't know who it was, some expert said that coconut oil actually has been used in research to cause atherosclerosis in, I guess, mice or rodents or something. Uh, That was like the staple that they fed them in order to get them to have uh, heart disease or cardiovascular disease. And I just really raised an eyebrow at that. They're leaving out part of the story. Yeah. They altered the coconut oil. Ah. And I was wondering if the uh, rodents were genetically susceptible to getting cardiovascular disease too. Well, that's, yeah, there's another issue. They'll uh, take mice and they'll genetic, you know, they sort of mutate them to make them susceptible to this or that uh, disease. So basically, I think at that point, anything you you feed them, you'll go, wow, look at all the disease they developed. Mm -hmm. But I talked to Mary Enig when I was researching Fathead, who's one of the most, if not the most, informed experts in the country on lipids and fats. And she actually told me about the experiment with the coconut oil where it apparently induced heart disease. That was not coconut oil like you'd go to Whole Foods or your grocery store and buy coconut oil. It had been altered. Interesting. Something akin to being hydrogenated, put it that way. Wow. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, of course, they followed that up with saying, oh, you should actually gravitate towards vegetable oil. That's much more healthy than these saturated fats. Yeah, Yeah, this is so not true. Uh, Let me put it this way. The oils that you are supposed to be consuming and that are actually good for you are the ones that were created by God and Mother Nature and that human beings in their natural environment would consume. Now, olive oil counts because you can take olives and squeeze them and get oil out of them. It's also true for some nut oils. But where, without modern industrial processing, where or how would humans have ever consumed oil from corn? from soybeans, from rape seeds, which is where canola oil comes from. They just didn't want to call it rape oil. Uh, (laughs) None of these are oils that human beings would consume. And they're not only not good for us, several of them are actively bad for us. All we have to do is look what's happened since human beings started consuming all these vegetable oils. You know, 100 years ago, our fats were tallow, lard, butter. We consumed way more of those oils and those fats than we do now. Uh, But then we started consuming a lot more vegetable oil. Has it been good for our health? Has heart disease gone down since 100 years ago? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how does your family feel about your views on nutrition? 
my immediate family, my wife and kids. Yeah. Uh, they well, you know, here's the thing. Are they all vegans? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Yeah, then we would be the odd couple. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing is, fats are delicious. So it's really not hard to convince a kid that they should eat fat. Yeah. When we sit down and eat steaks or pork chops or something, my daughters will actually cut the – we don't trim the fat off, of course. They'll actually cut the fat off the end and they'll eat that first and then they'll try to steal it from my plate. So trying to get them to eat quality fatty food is not difficult at all. I've also heard forever that, oh, it's hard to get kids to eat vegetables. Well, yeah, if you steam the vegetables and then you put on a little margarine or something – uh, they probably won't like them. My girls love vegetables because they get their vegetables drenched in butter. They eat those mm. babies right up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mighty tasty and nutritious too. Oh, yeah. And they never ask for cereal or things like that. You know, we don't want to be food Nazis. Uh, I don't want to give my kids food issues by, you know, making things that they like verboten. So if they ask for a sandwich, they get it. Mm-hmm. If they go to school and someone's passing out cupcakes... They can have it, but what's interesting is a lot of times they say, no thanks. So they, yeah, they eat a little more sugar and a little more starch than I do, but compared to what most people eat, especially what most kids eat. Hold on, training your taste buds. Bingo, that's the other thing. If you're constantly bombarding your taste buds with sweet tastes, you eventually need sweeter and sweeter tastes. Um, I even got off Diet Coke. I used to drink Diet Coke. I even got off of that maybe six months ago, and... After a couple months away from it, I grabbed one one day. I drank about a fourth of it, and I threw the rest away. After getting away from that flavor, it didn't even taste good anymore. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I used to be a big soda fan, and now the taste of it is its just awful. I mean, yeah, I can have a couple sips, but to have a whole 12 ounces, I think I'd throw up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think most parents um, tend to basically think that the kids naturally want these junk food and snacks, sweets and all that stuff because it's prevalent everywhere you see. You know, all the checkout stands have got all that garbage. So they end up creating what they most fear, I guess, in the kids. Rather than introducing them to a healthy sort of way of eating, the kids are naturally going to spurn that stuff because they're going to realize that it's not good for them. Yeah, and my girls have realized, even when they do want a little candy, you know, say Halloween, of course, they got some candy, they wanted to eat some candy. We said, okay, you can have one or two of these a day. They've actually noticed that they don't feel so good afterwards. Hmm. And we all notice that they tend not to be in the best of moods afterwards. So they're actually, I'm pleased that they actually, most of the time, make pretty smart decisions about it. Even when it's available, they'll say no thanks, or they'll have a little bit. They don't tear into a bag of candy. They know it's bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. Blood sugar spikes. So do you have any, uh, anything in sight for like a follow-up or are you doing some more research in this area of uh, nutrition and food? I would love to do a follow-up. Uh, the thing is, you know, Fathead's been out on DVD in the U.S. Their plans to DVD releases in other countries at some point. It's a slower process than I would have expected. It's going to be on DVD in Canada coming out, I think, in another month or two. Before I would do another film, I would need to make back my investment on this one. <laughs> sure. Because despite what some people think, I was not funded by McDonald's. I was funded by me. Uh, <laughs> but I do have other ideas. One thing that occurred to me while I was researching this is there is way, way more bad science out there than I ever would have suspected. Isn't that something? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And I think it would be a fascinating topic to do a, a documentary on how bad science occurs, what good science is and what bad science is. I would hope, of course, to you know make it amusing like I did with some of the science in Fathead. Sure. And just explain what bad science is and why it's so prevalent. Yeah. Yeah, I think scientists were really surprised when they discovered through double-blind studies that they were wrong. That how mm -hmm. could they be that wrong? They saw it with their own eyes, right? right. But this confirmation yeah. bias is so prevalent and entrenched in almost in human nature. It's like you want to find anecdotal evidence to support what you believe rather than critically examine and try to be skeptical and try to falsify what you believe. Yeah, exactly. And in a wonderful book called uh, The Cholesterol Myths, Dr. Ufi Robinskog went and looked up a lot of these studies that said, you know, fat kills, cholesterol kills. He found in some cases, uh, not only were the conclusions of the study not supported by the data, in a few cases, the conclusions of the study were actually the exact opposite of what the hard data showed. Amazing. Now, unfortunately, your average media reporter is not trained in science. And what do they read? The conclusion. Yeah. Right. And then they write the story from there. So there is a lot of bad science out there. There's a lot of bad reporting on science out there, which is why, you know, you'll hear people make jokes. So study shows eggs are bad. And they say, well, wait two weeks. The next one will say they're good. Yeah. Well, exactly. There's truth to that. And it's because of bad science and bad reporting on science. Sometimes even if the science is good, the reporting is bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at the boldness with CSPI guy, the way they introduced the trans fats as a good thing and then had to recant, right? <laughs> and what was really frustrating about it, uh, annoying about it, was they didn't recant for a long time. Yeah. Um, they, of course, were the ones who sort of initiated the campaign to get rid of the tallow and the lard for frying in restaurants. And we now know, of course, those fats are not only not bad for you, they actually have health benefits. Mm -hmm. And so they got the trans fats pushed in, again, because they're vegetarians. By gosh, anything that's vegetable oil must be good. Yeah. And yeah. when it turned out that trans fats were actually damaging, the guy from CSPI did not stand up and pound his chest and say mea culpa. They basically... First, they insisted they were safe. Then when it became obvious that they weren't, they just went silent on the issue. <laughs> yeah. Just Brilliant. went completely silent. And yeah. then, some years later, they began suing the restaurants that were using them. In other words, the restaurants who had done what CSPI demanded that they do. <laughs> That's amazing. And then I remember a couple of years ago, I think New York City made a law that nobody could use trans fats and no restaurants. Right. So they'd shut down restaurants for using. And I think that's funny because it's kind of like um, Harry Brown used to say, the government will break your legs and then give you crutches and say, see, what would you do without us? That's <laughs> right. Yeah, if it weren't for us, you wouldn't be able to walk. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. right. They're jumping out ahead of the trend. I mean, people figured out that trans fats were bad, and then here comes the all the agencies saying, look, uh, we got to ban them. So it's like, yeah, what good is that? Yeah, not to mention inhibiting people's ability to make their own choices and to be responsible with the way they're eating rather than having uh, mommy-daddy government tell them what to do all the time. Exactly. Of course, trans fats are bad. Uh, I avoid them like the plague. But I still don't think they should be outlawed. You know what? If we're going to do that, heck, let's get it over with and outlaw sugar. That's the worst thing in our diets. That is the yeah. absolute worst thing in our diets. So it doesn't make sense to me that, you know, we're going to outlaw McDonald's in New York City frying in trans fats, but we're still going to let them serve Cokes and milkshakes. 
Yeah. Yeah, you can't find consistency. And then, of course, there's the law of unintended consequences. For every law that's passed with supposedly good intentions, you get all this blowback in, in the black marketplace and makes things worse, actually. Insult to injury, if you will. Sure, there's going to be people in New York City going, buddy, you want some trans fats? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so we have our work cut out for us, that's for sure. But really, we thank you for making this movie. It's great that this stuff is getting out there and people can actually see an objective perspective on nutrition and food and how they can actually be healthy. I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. If you don't mind me mentioning, when I finished the movie, I thought I was done. And then I realized there was so much more I wanted to say. Uh, you guys know, I don't know if your readers know, that I put up a couple articles a week on my blog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's a www.fathead, that's one word, fathead-movie.com. I'm sure you guys will link to it, too. But, uh, yeah, I, I do keep the conversation going on the blog. Oh, great. Yeah, I don't know which blog it was on. I think that one, that you talked about the uh, vegetarian myth, that book. Yes, yes. Yeah. Very interesting. Have you guys had a chance to interview her or tried to interview her? No. Have not, but I think that's on the agenda because it's pretty interesting stuff. I was listening to an interview with her on Blog Talk Radio, and uh, I'm not sure the name of that show that she got interviewed on, but yeah, it was pretty well done. Uh, maybe it was Underground Wellness with Sean Cox. That's what it was. That's what mm. it yeah. was, yep. yeah. Yeah, I was pleased that... Uh, you know, she's not only a fabulous writer, and I mean that, she's a fabulous writer. She also is very good in the interview situation, a lot of good information there. Even if people don't read the book, I hope they look up her interviews. Yeah, it'd actually be timely for us, too, because we spent our first, I don't know, a couple, of few podcasts discussing some of the popular diet books out there. And mm-hmm. a lot of them now, in the last year or so, are recommending the vegan diet as being the healthiest oh of all God. diets. So, and I think it's good to get the perspective out there that um, it may not be. And there are some good things about eating that way, especially all the vegetables you're getting. But there's uh, a lot of a lot that hasn't been looked into and analyzed by these books that are just more, you know, a lot of fluff. Well, and I think a lot of people claim when they became vegetarians, their health improved, and I believe them. But the reason is a lot of people go from eating, you know, a crap diet to deciding, oh, you know, I'm tired of eating this crap diet. I'm going to do something healthy. What's healthy? Being a vegetarian. Well, in that case, they're not just giving up meat. They're typically giving up sugar and white flour and a lot of other junk. Of course, their health improves. If you go from a junk diet to a whole food vegetarian diet, the point is you can go to a whole food diet that's not a vegetarian diet and you'll be even healthier still. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that about wraps it up. Um, Again, thanks for coming on the show, Tom, and hopefully we can keep in touch and pursue more of these issues. Yeah, please do. I really appreciate the time, guys. Yeah, and good luck with uh, your future projects. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was Tom Naughton. Yeah, well, hope you enjoyed the interview we just had, and we look forward to having more interviews in the future. If you have any suggestions for people to interview, just comment on our blog or in the the comment section after the show notes for each podcast. That would be much appreciated. Yeah, and we are, uh, since it is the new year, uh, just a reminder, we are offering the free audio, and that's the three pillars for achieving your perfect weight through the mind-body connection. And all you have to do to get that is to go to healthymindfitbody.com and over on the right side, just put in your name and email address and we'll send that to you right away. Yeah, and then you'll be on the list, uh, newsletter list, right? Yeah, and we'll send you out a monthly newsletter and notifications on upcoming exciting interviews like the one we just had. 
Indeed. So take advantage of getting the healthy mind, fit body ball rolling in your life. That's really a, a crucial thing because as we just talked about, these are important issues. And the mainstream, most people that are so-called experts really are not helping people out as much as they could be. Exactly. Okay, well, have a good week, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. It's-